when getting into it, I know that you have the ITIL certification. Mm-hmm. Was that yep. instrumental in where you are today? Could you explain a little bit more about the certification and um, like how to get it? Yeah, like that? yeah. In fact, I'm glad you bring that up because uh, yes, it was instrumental in where I am today. You know, that first incident management job could have ended up just being another job in the list as I moved on. But uh, because I got that job, recruiters started reaching out on LinkedIn and I got a contract role with Nike and then Nike paid for me to get that certification. Because of that certification, I I essentially more than doubled my income because of that certification. I I think I was being paid $54,000 at eBay as just a regular incident manager without that certification. But now that I have that certification, uh, my base salary is $125,000 a year. And I don't ever plan on accepting anything less than that. Aloha, folks, and welcome back to Degree Free, where we teach you how to get the work you want without a college degree. I'm your host, Ryan Mariyama. And before we get into today's episode, I did have a couple of things. One, if you'd like to receive a short email every week about different degree-free jobs, degree-free skills, and how to get the work you want without a college degree, go to degreefree.co slash newsletter to sign up for our newsletter. Two, one of the biggest struggles that we hear from degree-free people is that they have no network. Just go to LinkedIn and search for Ryan Maruyama, M-A-R-U-Y-A-M-A. Send me a connection request there, drop a little note, and let's connect. Now, to get into today's episode, my guest is Eric Osler, Senior Incident Manager at Nike. We, in this conversation, we get into what incident management is, how you can do it, the different certifications in incident management, and then at the end of the interview, we go over everything that you need to know in order to ace your interview. This is a great conversation and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. If you want to get the show notes to everything that we talked about and you want to say hi to Eric, you can find the show notes at degreefree.co slash podcast. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Eric Osler. There are no rules. rules. You're listening to Degree Free on the Degree Free Network, where we talk about how to teach yourself, get work and make money. No degree needed. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Hannah Maruyama. Maruyama. Hello, folks, and welcome back to Degree Free. I am super excited to have today's guest on, Eric Osler. Eric, thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, no worries. I'm I'm pretty excited to be here. Eric, I wanted to start kind of at where you currently are in your job. This is Degree Free Podcast, so we try to help people get the work they want without a college degree. And I was looking at your LinkedIn, and the title for your job right now is Senior Incident Manager at Nike. And the way that I kind of view my job is to learn every job out there so I can kind of teach other people what's possible. Because if you don't have a target, we don't know, we don't have anything to shoot for. Just before I ask what a Senior Incident Manager is, as a layperson, when I think of that, like I go back to my firefighting days. I used to be a professional firefighter, and I think of like an incident commander where we like, we get on like somebody's, we need to go do CPR or somebody's house is on fire and we get on scene and the first person on scene, the most high ranking officer is the incident manager or incident commander. And they kind of manage what's going on in the scene. But I don't, I've never heard of this role within a corporate context. So 
Can you tell me how wrong I am? Uh, actually, you're going to love this. You can see I got a big smile on my face right now. That is exactly where it's where it comes from, is the FEMA emergency response system. That is, <laughs> that is the foundations of incident management. In fact, one of my titles during an incident is the incident commander. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really funny that you brought that up. That's where, that's where this whole system comes from and where it's based on was uh, woodland firefighters is where it got picked up. Yeah, awesome. And so within a corporate role, like, what does that mean? Is it, so for me, emergencies really make sense, right? Because, well, when I, I used to live in that world, I was steeped in it. But within a corporate sense, like, what is an incident at Nike that you would have to manage? And is it like an everyday thing that you're doing? It is, yeah. And, I, you know, some companies have more incidents and some companies have less it all just depends on how the company itself defines an incident. So, so in a corporate sense, you have incidents and then you have major incidents. Major incidents are where I'm going to come into play as an incident manager. I do assist on regular incidents, you know, helping engaging teams and getting a hold of people that need to or that they need in order to fix a, a smaller problem. But major incidents are really where I get in. And every corporation defines a major incident differently. But all of them are a defined on a severity level, which is usually a severity one through four, with one being the highest severity and four being the lowest. Could you give an example of a what a major, of, of a couple of incidences in general? Is it like uh, manufacturing, like, like the soles aren't fitting on the shoes or <laughs> something? You know, like. so, so a good example is like a non-major incident, but still an incident is say a retail store for your company has their internet go out. That's an incident because now that store has to do all their trading offline and their service is degraded. They're not able to serve credit card customers. They're trading in cash only, right? So that's, that's an incident, but that might not be a major incident at most companies, but it's still an incident. And then you bring in the major incidents are things like for example, this is this is my favorite one. We had a severity one last year that hit almost every corporation in the country. AWS had an outage. AWS East had a huge outage. It knocked out Netflix, Hulu. It knocked down Nike.com. It knocked down eBay.com. Like, so many websites were unavailable. It was the great internet outage of like 2021, right? It was right before Christmas, I believe. It was like early December. That's a huge major incident. That's something where I jump in and come into play. And you actually might be familiar with uh, corporate incident managers as well already. If you've ever seen a landing page that has live, uh, like a live RSS feed where they're talking about something that's wrong in their system, and there's a little message there that says, hey, we've discovered that we're having this problem. Our teams are working on it. And then they give you an update later and they say, hey, we have an estimated time of resolution on this to be about an hour or so. We figured out what's wrong. This is what happened. Incident managers write those. We're the people that write those messages. I see. I see. And so are there, it seems like there would be different incident managers. So Nike's a massive company. We'll just use Nike because, uh, you know, since you work yeah. there as the example, but like Nike's a massive company and they have their e-commerce arm and all the internet stuff, right? Nike.com. And they have their manufacturing, they have their marketing, all of that. And so to, are there different incident managers for every department? So the IT department has an incident manager, the manufacturing has an incident manager, 
things like that? Uh, some companies do run it that way. Like, so in my previous role with another company, we had, you know, two organizations, the tech organization and the customer service side and customer service had their own incident managers and tech had their own incident managers. But currently where I'm at with Nike, it's one team. We are one global team and we are 100% devoted to the entire company, uh, which is actually kind of nice. I like to have it over one umbrella because if you split it up like that, you start to build silos, right? And anybody with tech certifications knows you don't want a silo. You want clear, open, and honest so everybody knows what's going on and when it's going on. So I deal with everything from retail stores with an iPad that's not working all the way up to we have a distribution center that's got a broken conveyor belt and we're losing thousands of dollars an hour on shipping. That is so crazy. I, I love it because it seems like you have to kind of be a jack of all trades and you kind of have to just understand how incidences in general are managed and then resolves, you know, and just from like, uh, I'll just go back to my firefighting days. What I used to say about being a fireman was that firemen bring order to chaos. That's mm -hmm. very simply yep. what they do. And it seems like with this role, incident manager, it's kind of very similar just in a corporate sense. So oh, yeah, as it is. there's so much different that could go wrong from like an iPad to manufacturing. How are you even prepared to respond to all of those in incidences? So we have a lot of systems that help us with that, right? So that's 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 the big thing is we we set up a lot of systems and and run books is what they're called. You know, so in this situation do this. I do have to point out incident managers don't fix any problems themselves. We don't do any of the work. Our job is to engage and coordinate the people who can fix the issue. So we have these run books that help us with that, you know? So if I have a retail, retail store that has an internet problem and they're trading offline in cash only, I know these are the people I need to engage and this is how I contact them. And then it's just my job to keep them on task until they complete the resolution. I love that because, and I would have loved that more, depending on, and I'm, you were in the military, maybe you could, uh, maybe it was similar for you, but depending on the incident that we were at, sometimes we would have ICs that were not doing what you just said. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, how you just said like ICs or incident managers are, are not supposed to do any of the work that I've had a few, a bunch that would, while they are trying to manage the situation, also try to do some of the work. And it's like... See, and that's that's a big failure point. Like, you, you can't even... So here's the thing. My background is a web developer. I deal with a lot of programmers in my job. That's where a lot of our incidents stem from, is code issues. And I might know the fix or think I know the fix, and I can push them in that direction and ask leading questions and lead them there. But I, it's not my job to go in and manually change the code myself because that's, 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 that's what they're for. They're my subject matter experts. Those are my people who are going to fix it. And I can ask the questions that I know will lead them to the conclusions that I have. And, and, and maybe it is a viable solution and maybe it's not. 
but you don't, you can't get your hands dirty because then that's when you get down in the mud and the incident goes downhill from there. And we're all about fixing the issue in the most efficient way possible to get us back up and running. It doesn't even have to be a permanent solution. Even if it's a temporary workaround just to get us up and running again, that's my goal as an incident manager. How did you first get into incident management? So it's funny, actually. Um, I had FEMA emergency response training when I was in the military because I was in the National Guard, actually. That's that's important to point out. And one of my certifications that I did for my full-time National Guard job was for the FEMA emergency responder course. And that's where I first learned about the incident management system. Here's the thing. They didn't call it the incident management system. I had no idea I had that experience when I got my first incident manager job. Had no clue until I was doing the interview and they were talking about it. And they're like, oh, well, you know, incident management is based on the FEMA system. Do you have any experience? And I was like, yeah, I do have experience being a FEMA incident responder. But for incident management in the corporate world, I kind of just stumbled into it, actually. It was the dark times, the pandemic, COVID. And I got laid off from my variable data programming job because my company worked for casinos and casinos all shut down during the pandemic. So we had nothing to do. Uh, So they laid me off in July and I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, you know, you have a very commanding presence when you come into a social setting. I think you'd be really good at this job that I just got promoted out of. Would would you like to apply for it? And I said, yes, because I really needed a job. Uh, And that was a contract role at eBay. And uh, so I started that in 2020 and fell in love with incident management there. Like just just seeing how it all works and knowing that there were these huge situations where there was millions of dollars on the line and I helped stop that from, from being lost. It was so fulfilling. I used to get like shaky and nervous during my incidents at first. That was an, it was adrenaline like crazy. It was great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That it sounds, what you're describing, I'm kind of getting a little jacked up talking about it too, because that is one of the things that I miss. I mean, the hardest decision of my life was to quit being a fireman. Yeah. Hardest by far. I had nothing to do. Uh, I make more money doing this uh, than I, than I, I had a business while I was a fireman. I made more money doing that and I could have at any time, uh, you know, stopped. Uh, But, you know, I ended up moving away. But one of the things, the reason why I miss it, that what you're talking about, that feeling selfishly, it's that feeling that you get that adrenaline, but also it's the, it's the helping people. And then, you know, like I feel better, I feel better helping people. And then also I'm kind of like, uh, I'm like a child. And what I mean by that is like, it's difficult to see any reaction when you're like writing a blog post on your, you know, but then yeah. you're just like, oh, a house is on fire, flames, and then you put water on it and then it's not on fire anymore. And, you know, and it's like that instant gratification. And so I totally uh, understand what you're saying about the incident management. It sounds very, very similar. And for people that are looking for a career like that, it seems like that's a, a perfect opportunity to kind of transition out of. Yeah, no, yeah. and it does, it, it has it has its ups and downs. It does. A lot of my day is spent eyes on glass. I'm just watching and waiting for something bad to come in, you know? So, and and that sounds nice to a lot of people, but let me tell you, after two years of doing that, it, it can get kind of boring at times. When you're not on an incident, you're like, ah, 
uh, you know, I pace around my living room sometimes or end up <laughs> talking to my dogs, you know, or something like that. But yeah, it, it, so there, there's that. And then the next thing is, is it's, it's extremely high stress. But here's the thing. If you come from a high stress environment, like firefighting, like police work, like uh, emergency re- response work or military work, and you're looking for that high stress, high reward job, this is it. Yeah. I mean, there there have been times we're dealing with millions of dollars being lost, and 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 it's all the, and and the decisions you make could mean the difference between it gets fixed right now or we lose four more million dollars before we fix it. And so that's it, it's 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 got that that rush to it and that reward. But yeah, I it, it's got its ups and downs. <laughs> when getting into it. I know that you have the ITIL certification. Mm-hmm. Was that yep. instrumental in where you are today? Could you explain a little bit more about the certification and um, like how to get it? Yeah, like that? yeah. In fact, I'm glad you bring that up because uh, yes, it was instrumental in where I am today. You know, that first incident management job could have ended up just being another job in the list as I moved on. But uh, because I got that job, recruiters started reaching out on LinkedIn and I got a contract role with Nike and then Nike paid for me to get that certification. Because of that certification, I, I essentially more than doubled my income because of that certification. I, I think I was being paid $54,000 at eBay as just a regular incident manager without that certification. But now that I have that certification, uh, my base salary is $125,000 a year. And I don't ever plan on accepting anything less than that. That's amazing. Kind of wanted to dig into your past a little bit because you said something there. You said you were a variable data programmer or you were in variable data programming? That one's uh, a little interesting. I don't know if that would be the job title everywhere, but that was what they called me at at the company I worked for. I was working for a printing company that made direct mailing campaigns. And they had a program that you would use to make it so that the best way is just to say how it, how it works. Okay. So I'm, I'm sending coupons to casino customers basically. And you know, Customer A spent $5,000 last month, so he gets $500 in coupons this month. And customer B spent a million dollars last month, so he gets $10,000 in coupons. But they both get the same number of coupons. They're just for different values. So it was my job to tell the program or to program the printers basically on who or, or how many of each type to print and who they go to. So this customer gets the correct coupon and this customer gets the correct coupon in the mail. I see. I see. And going back even further, how did you get into that? Because I, I, on your LinkedIn also, there's uh, it looked like you got a certificate of uh, computer science. Yeah, let's let's go back that far in, in how I got into that. Previous to that, I had been a broadband cable technician for Comcast. That was a good job after the military, but it was just as hard on my body as the military was, you know. I broke my spine a couple times, shoulder blades, I broke wrists, fingers, toes. It was beating me up. You know, I was 26 years old and felt like I was in my 50s when I got out of bed, you know. I'm popping and creaking and 
So I decided to go back to school and I looked up, I wanted to get into coding because a good friend of mine was, had, was a self-taught programmer. He had like a, I don't know if it was a PhD or a master's in mathematics, but he had really high mathematics degree. Didn't work in that field. He was a programmer and he taught himself and he said, you know, it's great. I make tons of money. You know, I mean, he drives brand new Tesla. He owns two houses. Guy keeps joining startups and those startups keep getting bought off by big alphabet companies and fang companies and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow, this guy is, is loaded. I got to do what he does. So I looked up certificates to get and I found a coding boot camp to go to. And that was rough. Six months of the fastest paced learning I've ever done in my life. But I did, I did graduate that. I got out of there and uh, I got my first coding job. And then I was looking for increased pay because my first coding job, they were paying me a flat salary of $1,800 biweekly, I think. And I was talking to my uncle about it. And he says, oh, well, now you've got coding experience. My company is looking for a, data, a variable data programmer. And I can pay you about $50,000 a year or, or four, I think it became, it came out to like 48. And in my first program or first programming job, I think I was making 41 total. And so he, he was like, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put in the word and we'll get you hired. And that's, that's what happened there. And that's how I got into variable data programming really was getting that boot camp done though. With the bootcamp, like that's one of the things, there's so many ways that you can learn how to program and you can do it for free. You can kind of take a course or you can kind of do a boot camp, right? Like that's kind of the yep. way that we, those are we, the ways. We, yeah. Right. That we think about it. And what was for you, the boot camp seems like it was worth it. I guess for those that are on the fence about boot camps, what would you, what would you say to, for them to warn whether they should or shouldn't do or like, what should they know prior to going into one? It's tough. It's really tough. It's fast paced. Extremely fast paced. I was in a part time program, a part time boot camp. With the, uh, so there's usually two types there's a full time and a part time. Full time, you're there eight hours a day for three months and then you graduate with your certificate. Part time, you're there six hours a week for six months and then you get your certificate. Okay. And every week, you're building a program. Your very first week in, in the boot camp, you're writing a program before the end of the week, which is just insane, right? So here's the thing. If you can't hold yourself accountable to learn it on your own, I think a boot, boot camp is great because first off, you have to pay for it. So now your money's on the line. So that's a good motivator. And the second thing is, is you're going to make a lot of great friends in the boot camp that are also going to hold you accountable and they're going to keep you. And when you're down and you're struggling and you're having a hard time you're going to call them up and be like, I'm thinking about dropping. And they're going to say, no, you can't drop because if you drop, I have to drop, you know, and that's, that's, that's what'll happen. You know, you'll, you'll have people to hold you accountable and you'll make it through and you'll make great friends. Um, you know, I'm still professionally connected and, and, and socially connected with a bunch of people I went to the boot camp with, and, uh, they're all really great people. That is something that we say, we say the same thing. Right. And it's putting your money where your mouth is basically. And just basically paying for one, like you said, a huge one is just having an accountability partner or, you know, an accountability program to make sure that you are doing what it is. Because it's so easy for me to just be like, oh, yeah, I'm and this I'm speaking from personal experience. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go and learn how to do HTML today and or every Wednesday I'm going to do HTML. And then, yep. 
I will skip it because I would rather watch the baseball game or whatever, rather, you know, do anything else. You know world. what's funny about that is uh, freecodecamp.org, right? Even though I know how to code now, I still haven't gone back and finished it all, you know? Because I, I tried three or four times before I went to that boot camp to do the free code camp stuff. And, and don't get me wrong, free code camp is a great resource. It is almost word for word everything I learned in the same order as I did in my boot camp. The difference is, is I had an instructor and I had people to keep me accountable. That was the only reason I needed that boot camp was yep. that I had an instructor and somebody to hold me accountable. Yeah, totally. There's, there's definitely value in having somebody curate the content for you because if you're on your own, you don't really know what you have to learn, right? You're just like, should I learn? Like say, say we're trying to do a I don't know, something simple, like a WordPress website and you, and we're even using themes and you're just like, what are we, what am I supposed to learn? Where do I start? And that's where, like, if you pay for a course or a boot camp, having an instructor there that has curated the content for you and that is available to answer your questions when, when you get tripped up because you will get tripped up. Like, yes, you will that have is questions. so important. Whereas like uh, the alternative which can be done and lots of people have do it is you just have to find the discords where you can uh, join and ask this really specific question, stack overflow. Discords, stack overflow, two great resources. I even use those during my coding bootcamp as well. And I completely agree with you. It is nice to have the instructor there because when I was doing the free code camps on my own, you know, I'm reading about uh, Python, for example. I tried to learn Python and I'm reading about variables. I didn't know what a variable was. I didn't know what I needed a variable for. Those are the kinds of things you're going to learn in the code camp, right? I need a variable so that I can build, you know, functions and, 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 and do things, right? I need to define my data so that I can use it. You need to be able to ask those questions. I knew nothing about computer logic going into that course. And now coming out of it, I've had, I've now, I graduated in 2018. So that's what, four years IT career now? Yeah, amazing. I kind of wanted to hone in on here is for people listening is this is a common theme that I've seen with people that have come on the podcast, but also personal friends where they will go and either take a boot camp or learn how to code and learning how to code is such a uh, ethereal term because it really you know, is. Yeah. Right. There's so many different languages and everything like that, but we'll just say they learn how to code and then they got their first job. And then that was just to get their foot in the door in tech. And then they went and they switched all over. That is the key with tech. That is the key. Your first job in tech is just your foot in the door, right? You know, you get that first coding job. Here's the thing. Like, so that going back to the ITIL certification, because I feel like we just barely touched on that. Getting your foot in the door is, is really important because once you are in the door, this is going to start happening to you. I get 40 hits a day on my LinkedIn on message requests from recruiters that want to talk to me about giving me a job. I don't look for jobs anymore. Jobs come to me and I make my terms. And, and once you're in the door in IT, that will start happening to you. And, and, and it's not going to be 40 hits that first night, right? You know, or that, that first little while. But you get that IT job and you're going to have a recruiter week reach out maybe once a month and then maybe 
once a week and then maybe every day. And then next thing you know, you've got recruiters in your inbox like crazy asking you, hey, do you want this job? Hey, I was looking at your LinkedIn. You look like a great candidate for this. Do you want this job? You know, and, and, and you get to, to tell them basically what you want. You get to set your terms. You start marketing yourself rather than marketing to the job. That is such an important point because for a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, that is a fever dream right now, right? Like for most people listening to this podcast, they're trying to go through a major transition, whether it's deciding whether or not to go to college or their teachers or nurses, they have, they're a little bit older, they've been working in a specific industry for a while and they're trying to make a major change and they can't even dream. They've been applying and applying and applying and they can't even dream of having your phone like ding, ding. But, you know, just to know that it is possible and there are the steps to take and coding is just one of those steps, right? It like is, yeah. not, not everyone has to become a coder. Like <laughs> I, I tell uh, my friend's story a lot. He did the same thing. He was a marine, oh, biology. marine biologist. Okay. Yeah. He, was a, yeah. he was a marine biology major and then he was an actual marine biologist, but it didn't pay a lot at all. No. And then he went to a coding boot camp for like, <laughs> I think his was like six weeks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, 12 weeks. I don't know, something like that. And he ended up getting a job at Facebook. And then now he works in something completely different. He works in procurement now, but it was just, yeah. it was just his foot in the door. And there are other people, Hannah is one of them, my wife, where she went the Salesforce route and she got yeah. a certificate in Salesforce and now she works in product or she also gets people hitting her up every single day. People are still hitting her up to do Salesforce. Like, and I'm sure yep. you can kind of do the same thing too, right? Like incident manager and you could also jump back into programming if you if you wanted to as well. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about it's all about rounding out your your skill set, right? And and once you get into tech, you'll find that in the tech world, most major tech companies encourage you to learn about all of the other aspects of tech, you know, like I am encouraged to get as many certifications as I want in any place. And I, they do tuition reimbursement. Um, some of them, you know, depending on the budget that year, I can go to my boss and say, Hey, I want to get my ITIL, uh, professional manager certification. It's $10,000. Can we afford that this year? And he says, yeah, we'll just put it on the corporate card. You know, like that, that kind of stuff happens. Once you're in the door, all you have to do is get in the door. And it's so easy to get into the door, especially ITIL. The ITIL Foundation Certificate is one of the cheapest that I've found. Um, now, it has gone up a little bit with inflation and everything. I think when I took it, it was like $465. Uh, I think it's up to like 700 now. But usually you can go to, you know, any of those websites that sell the courses, you know, Pink Elephant, those guys... Um, that's where I do a lot of mine, uh, and, and you pay them the 700 bucks for the self-paced course. And, and let me tell you how easy the ITIL certification is to get. Skim through the modules, you know, but don't, you don't have to read it for word for word, get a basic idea of what they're saying, and then go grab the practice test sheets and take the practice, practice test over and over and over again until you can pass it. And then when you can, go take the real test and you will pass the ITIL certification and that gets you in the door into a service desk role, um, 
If you've ever heard of IT service management, it'll get you into IT service management. It'll get you into, you know, any of these, these, these hundreds of jobs, problems, problem management, change management, relationship management, incident management. And these are all not even full IT roles. These are IT adjacent is what I call them. You know, I work with a lot of IT guys, but in my current role, I'm not an IT guy myself at all. I work in the global technology organization, but I don't do anything technical. I look at Slack all day, wait for something to happen, and then I start emailing people or paging them on PagerDuty or something like that to get them in to, to work on the, the issue. And then I hop into ServiceNow or something like that and send a communication. I love that IT adjacent because there are so many people that on very typical comment, email, that we'll get is like, I'm trying to get into IT, what do I do? And that is such a broad question, right? Like it's, that is such a difficult <laughs> Where question do you want to be answer. in IT? <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. You know, there's like, there's risk management, right? There's, there's, there's incident management, what you do, right? Or there, you can be the fingers on keyboards guys, right? Yep. And, and actually dealing with firewalls and, 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 and security and all of that. And it's like, or you could be the guy running the ethernet cables, you know, that's it as well. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so it's a difficult thing to talk about, or at least like it's a difficult profession to get into when you have such a broad thing, which is why we try to have on as many professionals from different fields to kind of talk about it and kind of break this stuff down. Like just yesterday, um, the podcast that's going to come out right before you, uh, I was <laughs> interviewing a director of IT and he has a completely different job, but you guys both work in the quote unquote IT, IT space. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, so like my, my senior director, Eugene Cook, he used to be a senior director for the Walmart cor uh, corporation, really great guy, by the way, but his job is completely different from mine. He doesn't do anything similar to what I do. And he's the head of the whole technology, global technology organization within Nike. You know, like the, he's senior leadership. These are the guys I'm communicating to and telling them what's going on when there's an incident. But other than that, he has, he, his day-to-day -day has nothing to do with my day-to-day. -day. I wanted to kind of change gears here and kind of talk a little bit about the future and what you see for yourself like now that you're a senior incident manager at nike and you're making you know good money 125 a year where does a senior incident manager go i guess if you're taking a traditional path and are you trying to walk that um so i am trying to walk kind of a traditional path but that's kind of a loaded question well not even a loaded question there's just so many answers because the traditional path is really anything from incident management. I can go anywhere I want in the organization with my ITIL certification. If I want to move into problem management, I can do that. If I want to go into change and release management where I'm dealing with, you know, engineering teams that are coming in and saying, hey, we want to make a change to this program and I've got to verify that they've done their work and stuff like I can do that. If I want to move up to a managerial position, I can do that. There are so many things. And now I do want to take the, 
I, I want to take the traditional ITIL path, though. Um, I think that's a better way of putting it. So not as an incident manager, but as an ITIL professional, I'm taking the, the traditional ITIL path. My next step is this year I'm working on getting my um, ITIL managing professional certification, which is the highest level certification you can get within ITIL. That one is very spendy. Uh, I'm using my, my tuition assistance for that. A minimum price self-paced course is about $3,000. But that includes my testing. That includes all my training materials. And I think that's like five certification tests because there's five certifications I have to get to get the managing professional certification. Once I get all of those certifications, I plan on moving into either a managerial or um, junior director role is what I'm looking forward to. I'd like to, the, Eugene Cook that I was just talking about a, a little bit ago, the, the uh, senior VP or director of our, our, our division, I want his job someday. That's where I want to be. And so I'm going to keep using these certifications to take that path and become an executive, hopefully at Nike um, or another major tech organization. Awesome. Awesome. With kind of getting into incident management and your role now, we kind of touched on the ITIL certification and you could definitely get that uh -huh. and definitely suggest getting that. But as far as other skills, like are there different hard skills or soft skills that people should be kind of focusing on getting? Yeah. So there's a few things you're going you're gonna to need to know. Um, you'll need to be able to use uh, basic email and communications tools. Uh, that's, that's, that's important. But I think we all kind of have that these days. Um, but really, you got to work on managing your own emotions. This is important because things can get heated uh, very quickly. So for example, just yesterday, I engaged a team and apparently I didn't take the right route to engage them that they like, but I have run books. And so I go off my run books and they popped in and, and, and one of their one of their guys on their team said something that was really passive aggressive because you are dealing with people and people do that. And I thought my head was about to explode. I typed out a, about a two paragraph Slack message going off on them. But here's the thing. I work on my emotions. So I highlighted it all and I deleted it and I said, noted. That's important. You need to be able to control yourself and, and your emotions and, and stop yourself from doing things like that because there will be times you want to do that as an incident manager. It's a high-stress job, and you're dealing with a lot of people from all around the world. I, I work in an organization that's global. We have something like 100,000 employees or 80,000 employees worldwide or something like that. There's 40,000 here in Oregon alone. You know, I mean, we're a huge corporation and I'm dealing people, with people of all different backgrounds from all over the world. And so you, you, you kind of have to be able to check yourself. So that's something you need to work on. Be able to check yourself. You know, stay professional at all times. Be firm, but professional. That's the other thing. Work on being firm. When you say something, you're the incident commander. You say it, it goes. One of the things they teach you in, ITIL, in the ITIL best practices is that the incident commander is 
it, during an incident is the highest ranking individual in the company. It doesn't matter who they are. It could be the 22-year-old kid who just barely got his first incident manager job, or it could be, you know, the 35-year-old veteran incident manager or the guy who's been doing it for 20 years. Doesn't matter who they are. During an incident, they are in charge. And so if you are that incident manager, you need to act like you are in charge. Okay, so it does take a certain personality type. You don't, you can't be very timid with people because engineering teams and stuff like that, they're going to come in and try to take charge and take control of your incident. But, you know, it reminds me of a time in uh, one of my roles where I had to tell a senior director to basically get off of my Zoom call. Um, and me, I'm, I was a low, lowly little, I was a contractor at the time. I didn't even work full time for the company. And I had to tell a senior director to get off of my Zoom call. But you have to do it in a professional manner. So, you know, basically they jumped in and started barking orders and asking questions. Lots of questions. So as an incident manager, I have worked on my speech and my people skills over the years. And I knew exactly what to do in this situation. What I said was, hey, sir, it's great to have you on the call. Um, currently, we're doing, we have everyone engaged that we need. And we're doing everything we can to get this fixed as fast as possible. Now, I understand you have a lot of questions and you have a, a lot of things that you want done. So if you'd like to take over this call, I will gladly hand you control of this incident and you can run things. But if you want this fixed in a timely manner as fast as possible, I'm going to ask that you save your questions for the end of the call or leave the Zoom call. And he was like, oh. Oh, and as, as a VP, he's not used to being talked to that way. And so he kind of stepped back and was like, oh, well, I see you've got things under control then. All right, I'm sorry. And then he dropped off my Zoom call. You know, so you have to be firm like that with people and you have to know when you can and when you can't be firm like that with people. Because, you know, I'm not going to say that to John Donahoe, the CEO of Nike, if he jumps on my Zoom call. I'm going to say, hey, boss, so um, this is what's going on. We've got these teams engaged and this is what they're doing. This is what we think is the best way. Um, again, I'd gladly give you control of the call if you'd like. Otherwise, um, if you could just let the engineers get their work done, you know, so that was much more polite because that's the CEO, you know, and I, you got to know who you can be tough with and who you can be firm, but not tough with, I guess, if that makes sense. That, that's great because one of the things that we basically preach, I'll say, is the importance of soft skills. And one of the biggest threads, I mean, the largest thread throughout all of the jobs and all of the guests that we've had on is that soft skills matter. They and do. like, you can learn the industry specific things and just like, like what you were saying, your run books. Yeah, uh, you, can you can learn can that stuff. Learn all of that. Yeah. But speaking, communicating, interacting with people, even if you work at a really low touch point job, like maybe you are, um, you know, laying Ethernet cables or maybe, you know, yeah. you're working a server room or something like that. Eventually, you're going to have to send an email. Like eventually, you're going to have to Slack somebody. And yep. uh, just knowing how to address people is invaluable in any career. 
No, it really is. Um, if you can take, like, if you have, you know, some rough, soft skills and you recognize that and you can take some classes or read some books to help you develop them more, you know, that's that's really important. Um, you know, another thing to work on with incident management is a lot of companies, I'm I'm very lucky where I'm at, they don't care if we put out the same update every two hours because we are on a schedule of when we put updates out. They don't care if we repeat our updates and say, hey, the teams are still working on it. We don't have an estimated time right now. Sometimes I don't have to change a communication at all except to update a couple of numbers. Other companies do not like to receive the same message twice in a row. Um, my first company was like that. So creative writing. If you can say the same thing five different ways, you're a perfect fit for this job. That's really important for, for, for some companies, uh, is being able to, to say the same thing with five different sentences, completely different sentences. They like, because you, you got to think, the communications that you're sending as an incident manager are going to VPs, directors, CEOs, CTO, you know, all of the, the big C-suite people. And some of those people do not like to read the same thing twice in a row. They, so, so, so. They want you to come up with something new. So instead of saying, hey, the teams are still working on this, say, while the teams are continuing to do this, this is what else has been happening. And then just, you know, put in a bunch of stuff that really they probably won't understand anyway. <laughs> That's great because it's also an exercise in communication and framing things, right? It's kind of like – I my mind goes to like sales basically. And just like, you can sell this person on, you know, this cup of whatever in so many different ways. And as long as you can frame it correctly, you know, you might be able to sell it to them multiple times. Right. Exactly. And so that, do you have any tips for, creative writing do you have any to like uh any resources or like the books that you've read or anything I, I actually like that do i actually do and it's gonna be funny um it's it's kind of a it's a party game catchphrase catchphrase play catchphrase with your friends with your family you know if you are an incident manager play it with your team it is an amazing because it's just this little electronic device and it gives you a word and you're not allowed to say the word but you have to describe that word to everyone around you until they guess what it is and it's so okay. it, it's is, fun and it is, helps you build that vocabulary okay is that the one like uh there's I, I saw a version like on a phone where like yeah so you a word shows up and I can't see the word and you have to – you can see the word and you have to keep like explaining what that word is until yep. I guess it right? Yep. Uh, OK, OK. Yeah, I think it's called catchphrase. Um, OK, OK. I actually played that when I was working in a call center. A call center is what got me onto that. During our training, every day at the end of the day for an hour, we played that game to work on our soft skills. That is so interesting. I literally never would have thought of that game, but it makes a lot of sense yeah. now that you now that you say it. it. It gets you really creative in how you describe things and how you can tell people things. 
it it's 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 very especially in a job where you are describing things it's really good to have that skill as broad as possible cuz it's my job to to take like so i i'll have an engineer tell me hey this x server is having this error and it's causing this to happen and they'll put it in all this tech jargon so it's my job to take that tech jargon change it into regular people speech and then send that out to executives so that they can understand what's going on. So you need to be able to describe things really well. You know, hey, so we're having an issue within this system that is making it so that customer service athletes are unable to process customer returns. This is causing this much impact to our business there's the information, you know, so you, you have to be able to translate what your engineers are saying from technical impacts into actual business impacts so that you can tell the people who are subscribed, the people who are your, uh, uh, what do they call them? Stakeholders. Sorry, I should use the proper phrases here. Your stakeholders, what's going on? And catchphrase is a great way to do it. Amazing. Well, my jaw was on the floor for a second because I've played that game a bunch. I have a couple of friends that like love that game. Uh, I forgot what it was called, but I'm not a huge fan of that game. But maybe I just it, it wasn't framed for me in the right way. Uh, yeah, maybe not. So, yeah, it's a great way to develop those skills. And those skills, like we were talking about, the soft skills, just being able to describe things multiple ways is huge like i have a one time i I told the story on this podcast once about my worst interview ever and it it lasted all of like 10 minutes but it was basically the interview i was interviewing with this company it was a startup at the time and uh, i interviewed with the ceo and he was asking me like how are you gonna get our platform out to millions of people and i Basically said, I'm going to get you on this social channel. I'm going to, uh, you know, send out email newsletters, get subscribers, whatever, whatever, whatever. And he was like, perfect. But how are you going to do it? And then I was just like. You couldn't describe how you were going to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I was like, I just told you. And so I literally just (laughs) went and I repeated the same exact thing. I said, oh, you know, well. I'm going to get you on all these social channels. I'm going to send out an email newsletter and I'm going to get you newsletters of subscribers. And then he goes, how? And me, I just say the same thing over again. And the, the interview was done at that point. Yeah. But if I, <laughs> if I had taken it, there's a couple of things there. One, I should have, you know, clarified the question. I should have right. clarified the question for clear communication. That's, but then also, if I had been thinking more creatively, I could have – if I wanted to restate the things because I thought that he didn't you know, hear me or he didn't understand what I was saying, I could – if I had uh, taken the creative writing uh, course that is catchphrase, I might have been able to right. communicate a little bit more effectively there. Yeah. No. Uh, and, and communication is key. Another thing that's helped me um, is – Interviewing, you you brought up interviewing, so I, I I'm sure you've touched on this plenty of times in your podcast, but I will say this, and uh, not to toot my own horn or anything, but 
every job I've ever interviewed for, I've got. And that's another thing that has to do with those soft skills. But I will give this tip, and it may be something that's been given before. I don't, I, I don't know. I actually haven't caught up on your podcast yet. Um, it's on my list, though. The uh, star method of interviewing, even if it's not a star interview, when you answer a question, use the star method. And if you're not familiar with the star method, situation, task, action, result. So they ask you a question. So you tell them about a situation you were in, that you tell them about the task you were supposed to do or you needed to do in that situation. You tell them what actions you took. You, take, uh, you tell them the results. Uh, situation, task, action, results. Yeah, start. And then you tell them the results of those actions. That is awesome. Do you mind giving us an example? Because honestly, we actually haven't, um, we haven't touched on the STAR method before. And so since you brought it up, I would love to just kind of uh, throw it back and forth. Like, can we think of a, a time in your life recently, or, you know, that we can kind of just use this STAR method for yeah. that? Yeah, I can do that. Um, and, and I mean, this really applies to any, any question they ask you to, even, even personal questions. You can use a personal story from your life. But let's, let's talk about um, – Okay, I've got one. Uh, so a little while ago, uh, a, a few years ago, um, I was working as, it was more than a few years ago, it was about 12 years ago, I was working as a uh, security guard on a National Guard base uh, just after I had gotten out of the National Guard. It was my first job out of the National Guard, out of full-time National Guard. And um, I saw a red glow on the horizon. Uh, this is in Utah. I was living in Utah at the time. This was at Camp Williams. It was about two o'clock in the morning and I saw a red glow on the horizon. It's the middle of summer. And so I was pretty sure I knew what it meant, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. So I hopped in the patrol truck and I drove 20 miles out onto the base and uh, verified that it was a fire. So that's my situation. Situation is I'm by myself on a military base at two o'clock in the morning and there is a wildfire. So what is my task in this situation? I have to notify everyone of what's going on and we have to get people out there. So I uh, my task is now to drive that truck back to the guard shack, get on the radio, radio down to HQ, let them know that there is a wildfire on Camp Williams and it's big and that they need to call out probably helicopters and planes to come drop water on this thing and possibly evacuate the, the, the town nearby that was near the fire. So that was my actions. I drove back to the guard shack. I got on the radio. I made the call and I said, hey, this is what's going on. We, we, we've got a big fire out here. So then fire department comes out. This is the results. Fire department comes out, starts fighting, fighting the fire. We get wildland or uh, woodland, wildland, wildland firefighters out there. We get planes, we get helicopters. They evacuate part of the town. But because of my actions and early notification, the houses that were at risk of burning did not burn down. So that's my situation, task, action, result. So that's, that's a broad example of it, but there's, you, can, you can drill down and get more specific, right, to even work tasks. 
hey, my boss came to me and said, hey, we need to get this update out in two weeks. So that's your task. Now you have to code this update in two weeks. You're doing a two-week uh, scrum, right? Uh, I think that's what they call them in coding. I can't remember. It's a two-week something. Sprint. A two-week sprint. So, oh, you've got a two-week sprint, and you've got to get this release out in two weeks, but you're doing it solo. So what are your actions? What did you do to make sure that you got that task done? And then what were the results? Did you get the update, update out in time? Did you miss the update? Use it for good stories and bad stories. Your results don't have to be positive. That's great because we have, honestly, we haven't talked too much about interviewing on this podcast. And that's a, that's a great method uh, to do it. And that's just good for the star method is great even for like uh, status reports, right? Oh, yeah. Or just like re regular, just updates. When it's a good skill like, to have. Uh, yeah, like, hey, what are what have you been working on? And then you can frame, you know, your experience in, in a method, really yeah. structured way where somebody's like, okay, well, Ryan's not just sitting on his ass all day, right? Like he's doing something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and I think that's the key that a lot of people really struggle with at the beginning when you're when you're a really poor interviewer is just looking at your experience at all. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you, you, I put you on the spot there and you were able to uh, come up with a story like that and structure the story using the star method. Because you used the star method, you made it into a story that I could understand and, and was intelligible. And People love stories. Right. Yeah. People love stories. People, I was there with you the entire time. Anybody listening to you, uh, we were in the truck with you, right? Like we, we saw you drive back to the, um, to the guard shack to alert everybody. Yeah. And that is one of the best ways to interview rather than just like saying, oh, well, I'm really, I'm really good at communicating, you know, and uh, I did it this one time in this way. You know, so yep. thank, so, thank, and, thank you. Thank you. That. And, and I was going to say one more thing. If your interviewer is asking the questions in this format, tell me about a time you did X. They're looking for you to use the star method. That's what they want from you. If they say, tell me it, about a time you did this. That's, that's, that's the last thing I've got. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's on that. That's perfect. That's perfect. What's really um, do you do a lot of practice for interviewing or was it just something that came natural? Um, it, it came natural at first, but now as I've gotten older, I do practice. Um, I do, I run mock in, uh, a mock interview with myself or um, a colleague or a friend uh, the day before. I'll run an, a mock interview. Um, and then two days before I actually prep my answers. I don't know what the questions are going to be. But I start thinking about my work history and I say, okay, what do I want to bring? What do I want to highlight in my work history? Because a lot of your star answers can be applied to multiple questions. So you just have to remember the stories and you got to say, oh, I remember this one time this happened. So you write that down in a notebook and then you practice telling that in the situation, task, action, result, method. And then, you know, when they ask the question, 
tell me at, uh, about a time at work that you were extremely challenged. Well, there was this one time I had this two-week sprint on an impossible update. This is the situation. This is the task action result, right? That's, or, and then they could, you know, maybe they don't ask that. Maybe they say, tell me about, about a time where you messed up really big. And you can use that same story because maybe you didn't achieve your goal. Exactly. Exactly. With, when you say practicing, what does that look like? So I know whenever I hear people say, you have to practice, you have to practice, you have to practice. I know for myself, when I was first starting out, like, I have no idea what that looks like. Like, what, what do you mean practice? Does that mean like, I just sit in front of my computer and videotape myself? Or do I record myself talking my answers? Like, what does your practice look like? So my practice does currently look exactly like that. I have a pretty nice camera here and I will sit in the in front of the computer and I will practice and I will record myself and then I'll go back and I will watch that recording and I'll go, no, that was not good. I don't like that. Or, you know, I have ADHD and I move my hands a lot when I, and I play with pens when I'm talking to people, you know, I make sure during part of my practice is cleaning up my workspace if I'm interviewing from home making sure there's nothing here that can distract me. I don't want anything, I, you know, I don't want to be sitting there going like this, flipping a pen in my fingers during an interview. I want to be sitting like this, looking at my camera, talking to my interviewers because it makes them feel like I'm making eye contact with them and I'm there in the room with them. You know, so part of my practice is making sure that my space is comfortable for me. The next part is recording my own practice interviews. You know, I'll hop in Discord with a buddy. I'll give him a list of 10 questions to ask me. And I will record myself with OBS or something like that and, and make a video of me answering those questions. You know, um, another thing I do during my practice is come up with questions for my interviewer. And I know a lot of people do the whole, oh, well, you know, you guys have been so informative. I just don't have any questions. Don't do that. Always ask a question. At a minimum, the question you should be asking is, was there any point in the interview uh, or anything that I said that maybe didn't sit right with you or didn't answer your question well enough that you'd like me to go back and touch on? And then they go, oh, yeah, well, there was this one thing. Or they might say no. And then you would say, if they say no, you say, great, so... You know, as long as there's not a more qualified candidate that comes along, you would feel comfortable hiring me today. And that puts them on the spot to let you know as well. It, now, that's a bold one. That's a bold one. I've only used it twice, but I was sure I had the job at that point. I so. love that. I love that. That is, um, I have literally, I've heard of people say that. So, I completely agree with you. Your practice looks very similar to the way that to, to the way that I practice as well. Uh, I'm a little bit. I'm terrible at interviews. Like really, really. We were talking about it uh, right before we started recording and getting into it. But like, I am really, really bad. And so my practice is a little bit more structured. Where I will literally like the first. You know, if you go to those lists of most frequently asked interview questions, uh, those top 10 or 25, tell me about yourself, you know, when was a time, what are your strengths or weakness, da, 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 da. Um, I will literally go and type out my answers in like a Google Doc first and then 
try to like word for word, I will type it out and then I'll try to read it a bunch of times, edit it. And then I will then go to the camera and then like, you can't say it word for word because, or at least I can't, I'm not that skilled yeah. enough to make it sound like conversation, but it was, I have to memorize the essence of what I'm trying to say and then say that as far as questions go, I always try to ask questions. Definitely. I've never been so bold of, uh, as, <laughs> as you, <laughs> like I said, I've only done that one twice and I was pretty sure I had the job, but here's the thing that one, that first question, you should really be asking that every time. Is there anything in the interview that I said or that I maybe didn't expand upon enough um, that would keep you from wanting to or to, to hire me, you know, or or something along those lines. Basically, just ask them: Did I interview well, and what could I have done to interview better? So, in those situations, and so let's say that they they said yes, we didn't like this once, or we have a question about, or I mean, not a question because you can answer that in a uh, rebuttal. But if you like, we didn't like what this this portion like what do you say to that you're gonna say hey well then if we have time i would love to expand upon that for you i would love to talk more about that and maybe maybe clear that up that's 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 the whole point of the question is to see if there was anything that didn't sit right with them and if it didn't now you can go back and you can you know try to explain a little bit further maybe maybe they didn't understand the point that you were trying to get across Maybe they did, and they still they're still not comfortable with it, and that's okay too. That's okay too because they're not going to like all of your answers to everything. Nobody's ever going to like all your answers to everything. Um, Eric, thank you so much for doing this. I'll ask you a couple more questions. I hear. Um, think uh, is what is what's her name? His name? Uh, so Moose Moose was the dog that was up on my lap, and then I've got Baxter over here whining at me. I'm not sure why. He's 16 years old. He's got dementia. So he does this sometimes. <laughs> uh, I will take up all of your day. I had a couple more questions uh, so that you can get back to Baxter. Um, if somebody wanted to learn more about being an incident manager, what are some good resources, books, blogs, anything, podcasts, anything out there for people to, to look at? So, uh, I'm not familiar with any podcasts, uh, just yet. Um, it's actually something I've been considering doing myself, uh, because I, I, I just, there aren't many out there, but, um, I would say a great place to start is uh, pager duty. Now they are a business that provides incident management software, but they also have a free, um, they call it the pager duty you where they describe incident management. They talk about their internal incident management processes and how they run things. Um, and in fact, they have a lot of great resources there for the certification. Um, another thing you could look into is honestly some books. I'm going to be really cliche here. Uh, and I'm going to say those standard sales books that you, you know, you always read when you get your first sales job or whatever, um, you know, how to win friends and influence people as cliche as it is, is, and as cringy as that book gets in some places, it does have some good information, you know, like that's, 
that's a good one to read, honestly. It's 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 not terrible. Um, and the updated version is even better than the original. And I say better when I actually am not a huge fan of the book in the first place. But like I said, it's got some great tips in there on really how you can work on those soft skills. The manipulation stuff is a little, mm, I would stay away from that stuff, but <laughs> yeah, how to win friends and influence people. Definitely. Uh, if a book can be cliche, that's about as cliche as it gets, yep. but a cliche is a cliche for a reason. And right. you know, there, there are a lot of, um, really good nuggets for people as you said, but yeah, Eric, for people that would like to know more about you and follow along in your career, where can I send them to learn more about you? Oh, okay. Well, um, so, uh, of course I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I accept every request I get on there. Um, that's, uh, that's one place. Uh, another place that they could go is I do, uh, I do stream on YouTube playing video games. Um, it's just C-A-T-R-3-E is my handle on there. Um, you're welcome to stop by. I will say that it's probably, uh, adult because of explicit language. Um, you know, we don't want a lot of children coming by and I don't want to offend any parents or anything like that. But, um, I do get pretty heated when I'm playing video games sometimes. It's where I let out that incident management stress. Um, so there's, there's that as well. And then, um, I will be launching here in the next three months. I'll be launching my new podcast. Actually, uh, it's more of a fun podcast, like, uh, an entertainment one. It's called, Hey, check out these nerds. So that so watch for that to drop within the next three months or so. Sounds good. Sounds good. And then, uh, for your, YouTube, that was C-A-T-R-3-E. Yeah, C-A-T-R-3-E. That's me on every platform. I'm on TikTok. I'm on, uh, oh, I guess I forgot to mention that. Uh, TikTok, it's P-K underscore C-A-T-R-3-E. I changed my name on there a while back as a joke. And then when I was able to change it back, somebody had stolen my handle. So it's P-K underscore C-A-T-R-3-E on TikTok. Got it. I will have links uh, to all of that in the show notes for everybody. The grief.co oh, slash podcast. Um, and Eric, thank you so much for the time. I really, really appreciate it. No, thank you very much for having me. This was a lot of fun. This was a, a, a great time. And, uh, you know, if you ever want me to come back and chat about other stuff or or the same thing again in the future, you let me know. I, I will be here. This was fun. All right, Eric. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Before you get out of here, once again, if you haven't already, please connect with me on LinkedIn, Ryan Maruyama. And if you haven't subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, just go to degreefree.co slash newsletter and put your email in. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please give us a review wherever you get your podcasts and share this with a friend. Until next time, guys. Aloha.